This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Regional Roundup with Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent with The Straits Times on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's the Breakfast Huddle. I'm Elliot Danker. It is now time for us to turn our attention to stories around the region. Earlier this week, it looks like uh, we're approaching the end of an era over in the Philippines. President Rodrigo Duterte gave his final national address as he prepares to leave office after six years. Remember how he won elections and was sworn in as president back in 2016? Made a lot of promises. Uh, I guess one of the most prominent ones was his war on drugs, right? He talked about ending corruption, even talked about creating more jobs and building a grand railway. So, six years later, how's it looking like? Or Five years-ish later, how's it looking like? Let's catch up with Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent for The Straits Times. Leslie, good morning. Good morning, Abbott. Lots of stories to talk about from around the region, starting us off with the Philippines, Rodrigo Duterte. And uh, I guess the most prominent thing about his presidency has to be the war on drugs, the war on drug traffickers. What are we talking about, over 200,000 deaths? That's roughly uh, the number. Yeah. And, and, you know, he even came out to say that, I believe a couple of years ago, talked about how drugs will not end at the end of his term. I mean, it is a major problem in the Philippines. And I do know of Filipinos who were very happy with his uh, very strict, sort of strong man approach. But do you think he's largely been successful, at least where the war on drugs is concerned? Drug issue is complex, and whether he's, you know, by his own estimation, he doesn't think that he's done enough. You know, but the president has very dogmatic views on drug abuse, and it's ties to criminal activity. He's no nonsense style, you know, which, like you said, is loathed by liberals, but but draws huge public appreciation, yeah. especially in the rural and urban poor, who largely want security. And, you know, as far as how serious the drug problem is in the Philippines, I think it also boils down to who you speak to. Uh, Official stats often cited that are dated. They suggest that the country has about 1.8 million drug users. But President Duterte claims that that number is almost double, actually, you know, easily in excess of 3 million. Mm -hmm. So that's roughly about 3% of the population, you know, which is high, which is high. So, you know, but the thing is that, you know, it is tough in a country like Philippines where you have a lot of urban poor, you know, who are from the informal economic sector, living conditions are tough, uh, jobs hard to come by. So, you know, in, in places like this, you know, drugs help them keep awake, you know, stay, try and do whatever jobs that come by and also it cuts into the hunger pangs, you know. So it's complex. It's really, and it's not something that, you know, despite the small gains that Duterte has made, you know, which are not uh, welcome by a lot of people because they're really very unorthodox. It's still a problem. It's still a problem in the country. Yeah, there's a case of the ICC wanting to investigate this war on drugs, but he's been rather bullish about it or he's dismissive uh, about those claims. Um, let's let's turn our attention to economic improvement. So growth had been at 6% to 7% till 2018, dipped slightly to 5.9% uh, in 2019. Uh, he, of course, had this ambitious $173 billion US dollar infrastructure program and went 
to some problems, debates in Congress and whatnot. Um, but before COVID, at least, it seemed that, you know, economic improvement was President Duterte's strongest suit. Well, you know, it, it is his strongest suit. You know, he's, he's more, uh, I guess, uh, well-known uh, within and outside the Philippines for his more outlandish statements, you know, like, you know, like just saying, like, you know, I would kill all of them and if for drug pushers and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, credit must be given to him on the economic front. You know, he's been very consistent, pro-business, encouraged foreign yeah. investment. You know, uh, clearly getting to, getting the Congress to buy into uh, some of his, some of his plans have been a real struggle. But, you know, he's consistently uh, promoted easing restrictions, getting lawmakers to ease restrictions, say, you know, coming into the uh, retail, uh, local retailer section, professionals, also foreign ownership in the in public utilities, you know, in the Philippines, which are governed by, you know, very, very strict nationalistic laws. So the thing is that I think the if the infrastructure package can take hold, that would be very, very good for the Philippines mm-hmm. because it really needs it. And the thing is that as long as these policies remain in place, you know, open, liberal, continue to liberalize in the foreign investment front, I think Philippines will, will start to get that foreign investment into the country when signs of this pandemic start to come off you know it's all going to come off uh, and we hope just in time for a successor i mean i i haven't been the most interested in philippine politics until duterte came along this podcast is available on our audio app that's a w e d i o like us and rate us and now back to our podcast episode there are big shoes to fill here on the economic front and on that strong man stance against uh, the unfortunate war on drugs. Who are potential candidates for that role? Right. You know, there's no one that fits the uh, Duterte's kind of makeup, right? Yeah. But uh, the front runner is none other than boxer turned politician Manny Pacquiao. Oh yeah. You know he's he's pretty he's pretty famous around yeah. the region. And, you know, <laughs> uh, but the race isn't so straightforward. There are yeah. other candidates too, including Duterte's daughter Sarah Duterte, mm-hmm. and as well as his senior aide Christopher Bong uh, Go, you know? and also there's Fred Ferdinand Marcos Jr son of the former Philippine dictator, you know. So it is not a straightforward race. Manny uh, Pacquiao is clearly a front runner. But here is where it gets interesting. Duterte has maintained his majority support in Congress for the past five yes. years and yes. solidified it. You know? yes. So whoever, get, whoever wants a kind of a lead in this race will need his backing. Mm, will need his backing. So, so everyone is really looking for that Duterte nomination, Duterte backing your yeah. candidacy. You know? yeah. So, but given, but I think given the situation, should Pacquiao decide to go on his own, he probably has a chance because of his own popularity within the country. Mm. So, so that's that's how the. The race is shaping up, but you know these are still early days. You know a lot of things can happen between between now and uh, sometime next year when the elections take place. Imagine those posters, Manny Pacquiao punching yeah, exactly. out crime. 
<laughs> I want to line with Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent for the Straits Times, getting a regional roundup. Okay, uh, on to rather unfortunate situation. The COVID-19 situation around our region is not an easy one to look at. We start off with Indonesia before we wrap up with Malaysia. Uh, we know the cases have not been letting up for some time, Leslie. There was even a point where President Jokowi wanted to extend a partial lockdown. Where are we at now? Because I understand that some of these restrictions are going to be lifted. Well, some of them are. You know, they've extended the lockdown to next week. And some of the restrictions are clearly, are they planning to lift some of the restrictions? And because there's a strong lobby from the business establishment, uh, the government uh, is trying to deal with this problem. They're trying to add ICUs in areas that have uh, reported higher number of deaths. Uh, but the problem here is that, you know, only 7% of the country's population of roughly 270 million have been fully vaccinated. Mm-hmm. So that's going to make it very, very difficult. As far as the curbs are concerned, they will lift some restrictions. Traditional markets, restaurants with outdoor areas to open, uh, but there will be limitations. You know, customers, 20 minutes to finish their meals. Some businesses like, you know, from salons to vehicle uh, repair shops will be allowed to open. So I think if they're going to gradually lift because really it, they have got no choice because the economy needs to, to reopen mm. for countries like Indonesia, a lot mm-hmm. of poor. So there's really very little they can do apart from hope that the numbers, which are starting to show some sign of coming off, will do so in the coming, in the coming days. So that's going to be crucial for them. Yeah, I mean, we, we had, it's pretty much the same tune that we've been singing for the past year, uh, Leslie, how Indonesia really has no choice but to get their economy going again. Their vaccination drive will be largely dependent on on this as well, right? Yeah, exactly. And I believe you know? they are, the majority of it is the Sinovac vaccine over there? It is Sinovac, you know, and I think, you know, at this point in time, there's always, you know, concerns about efficacy and that mm, was yeah, yeah. But in a country like Indonesia, populous as it is, and, you know, it's, you've got far-flung provinces and regions, and they just need to get these vaccines and the vaccination program going, you know, yeah, really. Yeah. There's, there's really no other way to deal with this thing. There, there's some good news. Their health minister talked about, what, 45 million more doses of vaccines arriving in August. So hopefully that will um, help That's things. Correct. Yeah. Very quickly about Indonesia. There's <laughs> a bit of confusion going on. Uh, not Indonesia, I mean Malaysia, sorry, where you're based in. A bit of confusion going on. The government isn't quite explaining the ending of the COVID-19 emergency laws. And unfortunately, we still see those high numbers in ICU. Well, you know, the situation is not getting better. While numbers uh, kind of fluctuate, they remain persistently high. ICU numbers are worrying, mm-hmm. and so are the deaths, you know. Yeah, yeah. And this, and really now, the suggestion seems to be that those deaths are largely among people who have not been vaccinated. Right. You know, but clearly, I mean, they've bumped up the uh, vaccination drive, but, you know, it is also, a lot of this is also because of, the country's very, very unstable politics at this mm, point. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the you know responses are sometimes a couple of steps forward and, you know, yeah. several steps backwards. So really it is it's something that, you know, the government really needs to get its act together, but 
it is tough when politics is so unstable in the country. I've been speaking with Leslie Lopez, regional correspondent for The Straits Times. Leslie, as always, I appreciate your time. Take care and stay safe, yeah? You too. Thanks, Alec. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.